Hi, and welcome to the Arsenal Supporters Trust podcast. Last week, we held our annual Christmas event at the Emirates, raising money for the Arsenal Foundation. Amongst our speakers were Gary and Colin Lewin, who are physios at Arsenal from the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, most successfully under George Graham and then Arsene Wenger. We have our host, Tom Watt, interviewing both the Lewin cousins at the Emirates live. And this is what they had to say. Would you please join me, first of all, in joining, in welcoming our first two guests. I'm just, I, I tr- kind of try and do the sums and uh, sums aren't really aren't my strength. But I think we're talking about the Arsenal players between them for well north of 40 years between you. Is that about right? Well, yeah, got to be north of 50, north of 50 years. But you look so young. Yeah, hey, um, absolutely. You know, we, we like to think that um, Arsenal don't keep standards. We set them. And certainly in the world, for decades now, we set standards. And I'm delighted to say we're joined now by two of the men who individually and collectively set those standards. Um, physios, heads of medical services at Arsenal and beyond indeed. Will you please welcome Gary and Colin Lewin, ladies and gentlemen. So I, I promise this doesn't mean I'm going to be gobby, Dark Throne, and you have to share one, I promise. Look, first of all, uh, sorry, I, I don't mean to immediately talk shop, but obviously very, very big news in terms of Arsenal women. Uh, what happened last week, who, um, uh, without question, our player of the year, uh, England's player of the year, uh, Golden Boot, player of the tournament at the Euros, Beth Mead as shit ligament. And I just, I mean, I've done it. About the nearest I ever got to being a proper footballer, having a proper footballer's injury. Um, but just, can you just tell us a little bit about what Beth's actually done, what that is, and what lies ahead in terms of rehabilitation, when, you know, how long it might take to come back. Because this is an injury that, if you go back to certainly 60s and 70s, people would get that and it, that's your lot. Yeah, I mean, even going into the early 90s, it was a career-threatening uh, injury. But with medicine, or the modern medicine techniques now, it's become quite routine within professional football. Um, Unfortunately, on Saturday, in the last couple of minutes, Beth um, uh, buckled her knee. <clears throat> they were very concerned um, of what she had done. We analysed the videos, and it, it looked quite obvious on the, vis- on the video that it is a significant injury. So we scanned her on Monday, got confirmation that she the surgeon yesterday. The knee is still very swollen, um, so we need to let the knee settle down, um, get a bit calmer, uh, and then... We'll go back to the surgeon again, um, review the scans, review Beth. And, I mean, she's going to have surgery imminently, but we don't know when yet. And then um, anterior cruciates, they can take a variable amount of time and it depends on whether it's going to turn out to be a straightforward cruciate ligament only or there's other um, tissues that are involved in the knee. From a medical point of view, we talk about six months is the healing rate for the graft. And nine months is the consolidation rate for a graft. So anything between six and nine months is the return to play. But at the moment, we're not far ahead. We're just looking in in the not-too-distant future of making her comfortable and getting her sorted out for the future. Yeah, I mean, you know, you both, Colin, you'd have have taken people through terrible injury and, you know, we're 
talking about surgery, but so much of it is up here, isn't it? Just that 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 daily that daily grind of rehabilitation and am I going? Basically, that question: Am I going to be the same player when I get back? That must be the the real challenge for for every footballer that injury happens to. Yeah, I think they're all worried in the early days. Um, there's a lot of reassurance goes on, a lot of comparing other players that he's had it done, she's had it done. Look at them now. Now, when it happens to them at quite a young age, we know they get back often quicker, stronger, better than they were before because suddenly they've got this period where they're not playing football and suddenly they're being introduced to the gym, lots of other stuff where they can improve themselves in other areas of their body. So they see it as a challenge, obviously, but often if they're the right age, it's a big opportunity because with us, when they get back, we do their strength tests and we get them on the pitch. So trying to give them that little carrot that they can often improve themselves. But yeah, with regards to your question, yeah, it is a bit of a mental battle at times because they know they've got nine months to a year stretching out in front of them. Just to add to that, Tom, obviously in women's football, the ACL rupture is, there's a higher instance of it. Yeah. Why is, that, it, why is there so much? Well, there's a lot of debate on that at the moment. Um, some say it's, it's um, um, anatomical. Um, my personal belief is it's more historical and cultural because, I mean, women's football has only been professional for 10 years. Yeah. And there's not that infrastructure going down to the age, younger age groups. In men's football, um, they start at nine. And I mean, Colin was instrumental in bringing a guy in called Des Ryan, who set up an athletic development program. And the, the players that have come through that program, you've got seven or eight of them in the first team at the moment, over on the women's side again. And uh, to one of Desi's um, staff to come in and do the same thing on the women's side. Because the, the first time that the women's players are exposed to this kind of training is when they're 18. Yeah. And they don't see it before that. So I think a lot of it's anatomical. Suddenly there's a lot more pressure on their bodies. It's a lot more load on the body. They're not strong enough. Um, Their movements aren't great. And this is what we've got to develop. And one of the reasons why I've been brought back into the club is to develop this long-term vision of getting this element program into the women's football. I mean, on on a positive note from Beth, if you look in the squad we've got, we've got Rafa had a cruciate, Kim Little had a cruciate, Jordan's had a cruciate. So she's got a lot of people around her that can come out the other side yeah. that will work with her uh, fully. I've got to say it and put it on public record, when Jordan did her cruciate, Rob Holding was amazing. Really? Um, because he's been through it. And um, and one of the first messages when after the news came out on Saturday was from Rob Holding. Brilliant. So he is that kind of bloke, to be fair. He is, but it's also um, from, the support, from a supporter's point of view, I think the message that that this I want to get out to people is how much the club are investing and how much the club are bringing the women's game into the club as one club. Yeah. And we're sharing facilities more. You've seen the two games we've had at the Emirates or Red League. We've got all our Champions League games here. Um, I'm nagging Vin I to get more and more games here. Um, and it's, 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 it's becoming big. And I've got a, pulled the club in that they're really committed to develop the women's game in this club. Yeah, absolutely. And they're doing a lot of work with it and that's why they bring idiots like me in to try and help that out. No, absolutely. And to be fair, it's full awesome set up the first 
community program at a national club in the country back in the mid-80s. Of course, Vic Akers was very much involved in that, the early days of the community program. You know, David Dean, to his credit, was a very early champion for women's football. And so Arsenal ladies were absolute standard bearers for the game before it became the game it is at the moment. Um, well, I've been friends with Vic for many years. I'm, I've never forgiven him for introducing me to my wife and we've been married 35 years now. But that's a great quiz question. Who's the most successful manager of all time, Arsenal manager of all time? Yeah, Vic Akers. It's Vic Akers. He's yeah. won more trophies than anybody else. He did a decent job at Boreham Wood as yeah, yeah. Gerard's assistant. So, but yeah, no, I mean, the club are really looking to support and develop the women's game. As you can see, the games we've got here, I mean, I know it was disappointing with the result and Beth Mee's injury Saturday, but it, it's um, close to 50 for Tottenham on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really, really picking up and it's really exciting. And it's also a different fan base you're seeing come into the club as well. So, um, yeah, it, for me, it's so positive and exciting times that are ahead. Good. Well, could you back in the thick of it then, it, mate? Yeah, they dragged me back. <laughs> you, can't no, rid, you, can't, you can't get rid of me. I bet you didn't take much dragging, to be fair. No, that's true, I didn't, no. <laughs> Look, obviously, Beth is going to be spending time with medical staff, a lot of time with physios. The number of players that you must have taken through rehabilitation between you, uh, you know, from serious injuries. And I've got to ask you, there will be, like, if I asked you one player who you thought, I don't ever want him to get injured because he is absolute grief when it comes to... Who would that player have been, Cole? Is that right? Disaster. <laughs> Just absolute nightmare. Hated missing two minutes of training, let alone a few weeks. I was just... Well, it's good because you want him out there. You want him desperate to get back fit, but he was just hell. Did he? Yeah, just a nightmare. What, was it all your fault, basically? Yeah, cool. I'm injured because yeah. of you. And listen, he was always there on time. He was always turning up. He'd work really hard. I'm not saying he was a nightmare to rehab, but his mood and his, he'd bring the whole place down. We're into the gym, one minute, go on. You've got to hold it up. I'm too far away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just a, a difficult man. Um, refused to answer any of my text messages to him because he called me the police. <laughs> and so unless I ended every text message with a policeman emoji, he wouldn't reply. Is that right? Yeah. So when he got injured, it was, oh, just an awful time. Grief. Yeah. How about you? The worst person to have in the medic room was Righty. Absolute fruitcake. And he <laughs> would smash the place to pieces because he hated being injured. And when he was, I mean, one of the funniest episodes we had, we used to have electrical stimulation machines, which we don't tend to use nowadays. And uh, I got him and Mike and Kelly together and they would have a competition of who could turn it up the highest. <laughs> And their legs would be in complete spasm up, up in the air. And uh, it, it, I, I say the most difficult, but the funniest. He was the funniest. But the medical room would be a disaster when Wright was there. Yeah. Um, but look, we've both been very fortunate to work with some really big names, some really good people. I, I get a bit more humble about it. When I talk to fans, what I say, the bottom line is they're normal people yeah, yeah. that want to play football. And you must never forget that. And and when you're treating them, you treat them out. And we get a, in a sort of a comfort zone and all these big names. But to us, they're just 
people that want to play football. And we knees and knee. And we want to do our best to make sure they can play football. And we get upset when they can't. We get excited when they score the winning goal in the 92nd uh, in a game. So yeah. we're, we're, we're fans in a, in, a, in, a, in a glorious position. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, look, <clears throat> just to, as I say, there is a World Cup going on, bizarrely. I just, I've, and I, don't forget I've, off in uh, 22 minutes. Yes, absolutely. I'll be following, the big, the big I'll be following that on my phone, absolutely. so I apologise now. Um, I've never asked either of you this, but I've, 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 I've always wanted to. You're watching a World Cup. You're watching a World Cup happen on telly. Do you watch it in a completely different way to the rest of us? Do you watch and go every time a player goes down, go, oh, he's done that. Oh, that'll be a... Do you know what I mean? Do you, well, I'm going to touch the line, so... Yeah, um, but what about now, telly? Watching it now... Um, <sighs> Yes, you do. I mean, we, we joke all the time because obviously we work together in the clinic now and we'll come out and it, it was the same when we worked at the club, wasn't it? You get all the experts that come out watching the game and we think, yeah, they might have done that, they might have done that. But then you get the so-called experts that come out, the sale, oh, they've definitely done that. I mean, yeah, yeah. the French guy the other night that done his cruise shirt, social media went mad and the number of diagnoses on social media... Um, it, it, it's it's crazy and it's a bit unfair I think on the medical staff being on the other end of it and it would happen at club football as well we'd be involved with injuries and then you'll be reading the paper of these experts are telling you what the player's done and they've got to hear what they've actually done and it, it could be quite frustrating but yeah we watch it and have some fun and games don't we it's odd when you're watching a World Cup game sometimes uh, and you see the physio get stretched off. You brought it up. I'm glad you... Were... Especially when you're at a player's wedding, half cut. That's true. I was, at, I was at Aaron Ramsey's wedding in Wales, and it was midnight, the kick-off for that game. Okay. And so we'd have one or two beers. Yeah, yeah, as you do, yeah. And Brains, pints of brains, I bet it, it was. was. It was probably, yeah. It's quarter past midnight in this hotel in Wales, watching the game, and he's getting stretched off. So my phone's going mad. I'm looking at my beer thinking, what the hell was in that? <laughs> and just loaded. I'm sure yours did as well. But yeah, so you do watch it differently, but hopefully these physios don't get yeah. carried off. How long between seeing him going off on a stretcher and you bursting out laughing did it take? <laughs> uh, how, how long is there before you kind of process it all and went, the physio's going off on a stretcher? The odd thing was, because of where we were sat watching it, you couldn't see what it had done. So all joking aside... I was hoping it wasn't something serious. You're hoping it's not something cardiac. And I was thinking, what yeah. there? And I'm sure his phone went mad and so did your wife's. Yeah, my missus thought I'd had a heart attack. She was getting insurance really? papers out to check, to check what she was going to get out of it. But I mean, the excuse I use is every time you go to a World Cup, you do a thing called an emergency and where you go through if a player got a serious injury. And I just thought it was about time that I should check it out personally. <laughs> so there was, there was a motive behind it. Yeah, I mean, I was back in England on the Monday having surgery. I mean, the only blessing from my point of view is the team follower, which <laughs> wasn't good for the country. It made me feel better. Absolutely. Um, this World Cup, <clears throat> one of the things, one of the many things it will be remembered for is the amount of injury time played in games. Actually, there was one today where there, there was one today, I think the first half, there was only a minute of injury time. And people were going, oh, hey, he must have lost his watch. Do you know what I mean? It's, I mean, four minutes, 25 minutes over the, the, to the game. Look, we still kind of call it injury time, although quite plainly it isn't. How does that 
how is that going to, you know, I, I understand the whole business about supporters want to see the play. And that's how it's worked out. So 60 minutes ball in play is the, you know, is what FIFA and the FA talked about at the start of the season, but incredibly didn't do anything really about it. But FIFA have, have obviously led this World Cup. What, what effect is that going to have on, on players? Well, I think you've got to call it the VAR time at the moment because most of it's yeah, for true. VAR intervention. So, um, look, we've been involved in games for donkey's years where you'll see player go down time and time and time again and the referee puts one-minute injury time up and it frustrates the life out of you, especially if you're losing. Yeah. Um, a bit older than Colin, so I now train people in for uh, the FA. And uh, on average, when you put somebody on the stretcher, and we call it triple immobilisation, it should take eight minutes. So if anyone's going to go down with a neck injury, you can guarantee there's going to be eight minutes injury time. In my opinion, if that's what's needed to get a player off safely, then you add it on. It's the rest of it that I, I, I have trouble following. And I'm watching it with great interest in that I'm not quite sure how long it's going to be before the TV company step. I mean, they even had to delay I'm a Celebrity the other night because of the England game or one of the games that went on and on and on. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure how long the TV companies will, will tolerate that. So I'm all for it personally. I think it's good. I think it's all about watching a game of football. And the more you watch the game the better it is for the supporters. Yeah. I mean, there was a joke going around by the number of um, supporters that left the, the Qatar game in the injury time on to make sure people stay in the ground. I'm not sure if it's working or not. What do you think, Cole? Is it, I mean, I, ju I just wonder about, it does make it all quite, I, I thought you were going to say the television companies are going to go, hang on, neck injury, we can do a, we can do a commercial break here. Do you know what I mean? There's an opportunity there that, that doesn't, because we think of footballers, 45 minutes non-stop action. With it suddenly sort of 55 minutes and there's long breaks, I expect TV companies wouldn't need a lot of pushing to go stick a commercial or two in there. It's going to be a bit odd, I think, if it goes through extra time as well. If you've had, what was the England game, 114 minutes with all yeah. the added time on, something stupid like that, then you've got extra time and the injury time in extra time. It's going to drag on, isn't it? Well, that's what I mean. it's going to drag on. That's for for us as supporters. But what does it? Is it going to put extra stress on players, or actually does stop him for a little while, do him a favour? Well, I don't think that's changed much. But I think they are going to be out on that pitch for a bit longer. And the heat is it going to make a difference? It'd be interesting to see the stats on the the running distances and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think it's a massive difference, but it's a it's a long time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um. <clears throat> Sticking with the World Cup, just wonder uh, two things really, but they're they're very much connected. One is is this obviously this and our club more than most, to be fair, is sending a lot of players off to the World Cup, leaving a lot behind. I just wonder what kind of what are the challenges from a medical point of view? What are the challenges that come with those players suddenly leaving the club? Different medical regime, different different medical services for those guys who are off playing for their for their countries. Particularly, you kind of worry about players who've got a history of injuries. You know, Thomas Partey, for example, that are left back at home, who be kind of facing different kinds of physical challenges altogether. I just I just wonder whether that's something that that you guys have thought about because the World Cup's happening at such a strange time. Well, it wasn't a problem for us normally because it was 
summertime to the ones that were left in the Caribbean, probably. Yeah, no problem. But I think uh, the ones that are going now, because they're going to lots and lots of different countries, which wasn't so much of a problem in your early days, was it? But you just try and establish a relationship with the medical teams at those countries. Looking back to times we had players at Ivory Coast, Cameroon, Russia, France, Japan. You had to try and get a relationship with these countries. Some were fantastic. The, the French and people like that. You, England actually, I was busy over there, so it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the countries, it was quite difficult to establish a relationship. So you were pretty much sending them to the wolves and just hope they came back yeah. on the flight they said they were going to come back on. And in, in answer to your second part, leaving them behind. I think most clubs' approach has been give them a short break, then let's have a little mini pre-season and try to hit the ground running when it gets to sort of December 18, 19, and you're a week short of the uh, Premier League restart. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It's When there were tournaments in the summer, it, you can plan better. Um, yeah. And then when you're coming back, I mean, the biggest charts we had pre-season was working out the date that players got knocked out, what date they... Then we'd work out how many players we had available in the squad, what games could we play. But you're building up for a, a target of end of August because that's when the league would start again. The problems they've got now is the league is starting on the 26th of December. You've got three or four games in 10 days. Yeah, You've got half your squad that are going to continue the season as planned in, at, at a World Cup. Yeah, Then you've got half your squad that, that are going to have a break. With respect to the players that stay behind, to make up the training, they're going to join in with the younger players. And again, with respect to the younger players, the standard will drop. So are you training them as intensely as you can to get them ready so they hit the road running when we play West Ham on the 20th? It's going to be the challenge and of all the clubs in the Premier League. Yeah. I know quite a few are going to the Middle East. I know Arsenal are. And so they're going to play some games out there. And then as the players get knocked out of the World Cup, they can go across and join the squad. But it's going to be the biggest challenge. It's the players that are staying behind and... and are they going to be good to go when, right. when it's over? Some people have argued about them that you always get a tournament depression after a tournament, a major tournament, when you've been away for four or five weeks, come back and you hit a real low. Yeah. Um, is that, is that, that a physical thing? Or? That, no, it's a mental thing. It's a mental thing, but it, it, there's been a lot of research on it now. Um, and it's something that clubs do a lot of work on when they're time for that this time around. Because yeah. they're not going to have a break, they're going to it. So that's going to be quite interesting on the reaction of the players when they come back. Some are going to have a great World Cup and be brilliant. Some are going to have a, a terrible World Cup. They might get injured, which would be even worse. So it's the problem is, is it's unprecedented. Nobody yeah. knows how it's going to go. Um, my gut feeling is after we've done this one, I don't think it will happen again because I think it's been so strange for everybody. And again, what you've got to remember, when Qatar was accepted for the summer tournament, yeah. so it was changed to a winter tournament after the bib had been accepted so I'm not convinced you don't mean people were misled about Qatar I could do you possibly comment on that sort of thing so um, but it changed and that's that's no doubt about it and it changed the whole setup for a major tournament yeah so um, it'll be interesting what the 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 the, the after the aftermath of it will be and what just finally on on, on Colin I, ju I just wonder whether did you used to Send players off to major tournaments, World Cups, Euros, whatever it was. And did you have like a little kind of, did you work out an average? No, oh, we're going to get at least two back who won't be able to start the season. 
three back. Do you know what I mean? Does every tournament send back a number of players, a certain proportion of players who aren't starting the next season? Not necessarily with major injuries, but injuries that are going to stop them playing for a month, two months at the start of a season. Or in this case, stop them playing until February, March. There's a little bit of luck involved. On average, any Euros or World Cup would be sending 10, 11 of the squad away, normally to various countries, like I said. But I think, yeah, you, you expected one little 10% thing. One would come back. How big would the injury be? Only be a couple of weeks hamstring, three-week hamstring. That would keep him out a little bit of pre-season. Yeah, I think if you got them all back fit and well, you would count it your lucky stars and glancing at another club who might have three injuries and thinking, oh, there's my 10%. Yeah, yeah. It was unpredictable. Some years you got it really lucky. And I say lucky, there's an element of luck to it. Um, some years you had three come back with significant issues. But we had a system in place where after every game, the players knew we had to text me or the doc with an update of how they were. Really? Yeah, sometimes it got to be abusive, as you can imagine. <laughs> but Yeah, particularly if it was Alexis Sanchez, presumably. Yeah, but my wife wasn't always happy on the Tuesday or the Wednesday nights. <clears throat> sitting there at midnight we'll come in and the phone would be buzzing and yeah. different players updating you so once you got the last one in that said fit and well see you tomorrow or see you Friday that was great you, yeah. you knew you were going into the morning meeting next day with, didn't happen very often though who was um, I mean Gal you had you had Arsene and George as manager I just wondered from particularly from the point of view of like getting players out of the treatment room and out on the pitch. Obviously, the, the received wisdom would be George was like, well, if he can walk, he can play. And Arsene would be the complete... Is that, is that really what it was like? Yeah. Yeah, okay, <laughs> fine. Um, uh, George, question. we, under George, we... Uh, let's put it into context. When, when I started working in 86 um, with George, there was four full-time members of staff. Four. Yeah. That was George Graham, Theo Foley, Tony Donnelly, the kit man, no longer with us, and myself. Everyone else was part-time. Right. Um, now I'm back at the club now. On the men's side, there's 27 medical staff. That's not all the stage. George had this thing about... We weren't at our training ground on a Wednesday because it was a university training ground. And they had their the university... The one next game. door to the current... It's the one next ground. door to where Watford are yeah. now, yeah. So George had this thing where... Um, Injured players, we would treat at London Colney in the morning while the team were training. And then we had to report back to Highbury at two o'clock in the afternoon every day. Wow. Because his argument was, let them come home in the rush hour a few days and their injury will suddenly get a lot better. <laughs> um, you were, we, we played Saturday to Saturday. So injured players were in on a Sunday. If they didn't return, report on the Sunday, they got a fine for a week. A week's fine. So George was very, very strict and um, you work the injured players very, very... Arsenal's attitude towards it is, that's my job. If I've got players that want to be in the medical room, it's my job to get rid of them. Yeah. Don't waste your time and energy on players. very, very different. Um, all I remember is the facilities completely changed. So we bought our own training ground. We had state-of-the-art facilities. So you could spend all day treating players with justification because you had all the facilities you needed. Yeah, yeah. So the whole philosophy got more staff. Um, 
I mean, that's why I brought him in with me to help me out in the first place because I was allowed another member of staff, which was, I was doing cartwheels when they said I could do that. Um, so it's, it's changed dramatically and it's even changed. Don't forget Arsenal in 2008 to go back full, to go full time with England. Um, and it, then Colin took over. And in those eight years, I mean, it, it changed dramatically. Yeah. And, and Colin and, and Gaz, they, they took the apartment into a completely new era. Um, and the setup they had was fantastic. It actually, I used to joke with him that you don't have to work for a living anymore. I used to have to work for a living. Um, yeah. I just, <clears throat> Colin, you know, you had your, your time, for the most part, was with... with Arsene as manager, and there were there were a few kind of catchphrases that sort of developed. You know, the red zone. It's like hello, zone. You know what I mean? That's something that happens on a tube map. It's not. So, is it that there was there was a whole kind of um, you know, oh players can't be, you can't overload players, you can't do. Bands, you're watching this team that's five points clear at the top of the table at the moment. I know we're only a third of the way into the season. But Mikel Arteta would appear to go completely against all of that. I'm going to play the same players every game. We're all going, oh, Saka needs a rest. Saka needs a rest. Arteta goes, Saka's playing. Oh, Jesus, he needs a rest. Jesus is playing. As a physio, when you look at that, do you go, please make the judgment and they're all fine? Or do you think, Actually, he's pushing his luck a little bit. How do you how do you look at it as a from a from a physio from a medical point of view? That idea of you know you look you think back 1970-71, we played our sixty odd games, squad of sixteen. Now it's very different, but how do you, how do you look at it that that idea of the same team playing every week? I think the first thing to say is Arsenal was similar. I don't think it's just Mikel. Arsenal would often play the same players again, again, again. Right, he's injured now. In comes the next one. Right. That hasn't played for 15 games, so therefore <laughs> might not be at the level. So he asked them was similar. He would play them. Um, the second thing to say is that we've got much better now at tracking what they do. The GPS units that we put on their back in training every day, we can see exactly what they've done. You can see who's gen normals. Mm-hmm. You've got baselines for players to do in certain sessions. So yeah, we've got much better at tracking them. And so our advice to the coaches and the manager now can be a little bit more evidence-based than it was perhaps in your early days. And to be honest, someone's opinion is often better than the data. Try and make out it's just the data. <clears throat> and the other thing I was going to say was, no, it's completely gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the other thing you've got to remember is not only we got a lot more data and I would argue that I'll rotate the squad from Europa League to yeah, yeah, maybe. So then you're going the same team from league game to league game to league game. But when you look at the Europa League games, they don't. They tend to rotate early. Arsenal did it in the Carabao Cup. And then when we got to the semi-final, he would play the strongest team. Um, the second thing is you can't underestimate momentum. Yeah. And you might be playing tired players, but two games, um, Wolves away, in my opinion the momentum and the confidence that we were taking into the game outweighed the tiredness. Yeah. Um, and you, 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 that is such an important part. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when our son, we played Blackburn at Highbury just before Christmas. We got beat 3-1 yeah. and we got booed off the pitch and everyone said, 
who have we brought in to be our manager? We then went, I think it's 32 games unbeaten. We ended up doing the double. That's a them. Yeah, and we were crap against Blackburn then. Yeah, yeah. But, there was a few other games we were crapping as well, but we dug in and got a result. Yeah. Um, and so it, the word momentum must come into play and you don't want to rotate players for the sake of it. Colin said, if there was medical evidence that they are really dangerously fatigued, yeah. then we would step in and say, this is a mistake. Right, and... and from Mikel would go, okay, I'll take that on board and I'll make that decision and George would just tell you where to go. <laughs> yeah, George is funny. If you look at the, if you look at when we won the league in 8-9, I think we used 15 players. Um, one, one of the funniest stories from that, for all you lot that are old enough to remember, we played two games to go and we needed um, uh, three points. No, three games to go, sorry, we needed four points. We played Derby at home, got beat 2-1. We played Wimbledon at home and Nigel scored a screamer to make it 2-2 in the last minute. Yeah. Well, in that game, Martin injured his knee and he did not train one minute before Anfield. Didn't he? And the day before, I took him on the pitch and did what we everyone would call a fitness test, but a fitness test is can he run, can he kick a ball, can he tackle? To George were, he will start the game, but he probably won't finish. Mm. And... George said, that's good enough for me, he's going to start. And it shows what I knew medically. In it. So it's, it's all about opinion. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. My third point was that we are just <laughs> risk analysers, just gamblers. We, we, we advise the manager, but no one's ever going to tell Mikel he's trained today fully, but shouldn't play tomorrow. Yeah. We, just, we give them advice, we risk analysers and give them every bit of information we've got. But listen, they're managers for a reason. They pick whatever team they want to pick. Unless we say he's injured, he's definitely not playing. Then they would never go against you. Yeah. But yeah, we're just gamblers. And you get better been doing it this long. And more convincing. That's probably more, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the only thing I'd add to that, Tom, is the player plays a big part in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were never going to tell Patrick Vieira he wasn't playing. <laughs> if Patrick Lane, he's playing. <laughs> so the player has a massive part to play in that. No, absolutely. You know, you, met, you mentioned Patrick and you know, talking about title winning team, just, just finally, and just really to ask you, professionally, you've both been around hugely successful Arsenal teams. You've seen the individuals and the collective that it takes to win things as Arsenal teams. Just as fans, when you're watching this group this season, so uh, I'm, I would imagine that, well, if there's someone in this room who says, they're not exceeding expectations, then fair play. No more about, you know, you've probably forgotten more about football than any of us will ever know. But I think, say, exceeding all expectations, do you look at this team as fans now? You've got that professional experience. Do you look at this team? Do you see things that make you think, yeah, actually, this lot have got, they've got what it needs done? Well, I'm a massive fan, always have been, even when I worked here. So, That's why I'm asking. Um, what I would say at the moment, and again, this isn't saying that we're going to win the league, compare what's going on at the moment to what Hatch Graham came in in 87, 88, when he moved on some very experienced, high-profile players. And at the time, he brought a lot of academy youth team players yeah, in. Yeah. But he built, a he built a real belief in the players in the club. The fans believed in the club. The fans believed in the team. And I think that came to a head in 89 when we won the league. 
And some of the games that season where they dug in and got out of wobble at the end, which was inexperienced, and I think we're going to have the same thing here. But I get that feeling now of what I felt in 89. Really? And, And I think that's probably the biggest accolade I can give that up in that as a fan, I can actually share what's going on on the pitch and I can join in with it. And I yeah. think you feel that at every home game at the moment. Feel part of it. I mean, it is, uh, this place has just been like better than it has been for as long as many of us can remember. It's been fantastic. But how do, how do you feel about when you're watching Arsenal at the moment, Cole? Yeah, what same. are you thinking about what you're seeing? There appears to be a togetherness about the group that perhaps hasn't been there recently. And similar to what Gary said, the atmosphere at the place, everyone seems to be on the side. There were a few sour years. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were a few sour years where not everyone seemed to be together in the stadium for, for their own reasons. But it seems to be... I've been here four or five times since I left. Not not that much. Yeah. Madly enough, I've seen four different managers do it. <laughs> I'm including Stoivenberg when he did the Man City game. Yeah. And um, slowly you saw it change. I came once with Emery, then Arteta, and obviously Arteta again when he was ill. And you could tell there was a big togetherness. Mm. Everyone was behind them. And I think you shouldn't underestimate the part that plays as well because it's, it's become a bit... League or what? Um, uh, well, it's not working. <laughs> it's all right. You're amongst friends, mate. No, I mean... I, I think they've you? given themselves a hell of a chance, Tom. Eh? I think they've given themselves a hell of a chance. That's a very, very good answer. Gal, none of that bollocks. Are we going to win the league or what? I think we're going to win the league, but I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> um... Arsenal men, through and through, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together. Colin Lewin and Gary Lewin. Gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. Brilliant. Now that's a wrap from the Lewins. We will also have another podcast featuring Jeremy Alliadier very soon for you. But for now... Up the Arsenal, enjoy the rest of your week.